What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You are now rocking with the best, the Flight Deck Podcast. I'm your host, TK, and joining me are my two co-pilots, my guys, Mr. Omari Brown and Mr. Matthew Freeze. What's up, guys? What's going on? What's up? What's up? I'm here to rock out for another week. What's going on, guys? We got some good stuff coming today. Uh, can't wait to get into it. So this week's topic, we will be talking about the hogs up front, the guys in the trenches, the offensive line, the entire line. Um, we'll go over guys on the team, who to keep, who to get rid of, upcoming cuts from different teams, as well as the available free agents out there and the guys that we would like to see the Jets grab and why. But before we get into that, we want to do something a little different that we'll be doing moving forward. And we're going to have a little around the NFL talk. So to start us off with that, I'm going to kick things over to my boy Omari and let him get us started. All right, all right. So around the league, this is going to be a new segment that we're going to start the the pod with every every week. And uh, we just want to get the uh, the climate of the league and just anything that caught our eye and anything that stood out. So uh, this has been a topic. This offseason has really been about uh, player empowerment, I want to see. I think that, that the contracts are starting to change. And I think the first person to kind of kick this off was Deshaun Watson when we saw him, first off, get a no-trade clause uh, put in his contract, and then also – kind of request his, uh, you know, try to get his way out of um, a bad situation. So the reports are that Russell Wilson, he hasn't asked for his uh, to be traded or moved, but his agent, who is pretty much acting on his behalf, has um, requested, he's not seeking a trade, but if he would be traded, he's named some destinations. I think he named Las Vegas, he named Dallas, and I believe it was Chicago. Um, initially, it was reported that the Jets were a part of that, but I don't, I don't think that, that that's going to happen. But you never know. But it's interesting to me, guys, that he picked Dallas, for one, because I think they have a quarterback already, but, you know, they, they still have some stuff to work out. They've watched that whole situation. And then Chicago, which makes sense. Russell Wilson would – well, he would be the best quarterback in their franchise history just by throwing on New Jersey and – Las Vegas, I think he would absolutely thrive in Las Vegas with that offensive line that they had, just protecting him. And Mike Mayock and John Gruden have done a decent job acquiring some weapons. And you drop Russell Wilson in in that offense, and it could be ridiculous. So I just think that I think that going forward, all quarterbacks, if you're a top-tier quarterback, you're going to have a no-trade clause in your contract. And I think we're going to see a lot of other marquee players put no-trade clauses in their contracts too and kind of – emulate what the NBA does. I think other athletes, you know, well, baseball guys, they, they got it made. Their contracts are fully guaranteed. Basketball contracts are fully guaranteed. And these guys kind of, the stars run the league. And I think that that's where the NFL is going and, and I'm excited for it. So I have like, that caught my eye. What do you guys think about that? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that you're going to see it more across the league that these guys are going to try and take advantage of the fact that, you know, they are the stars. They do have that leverage. So if they put that, that no trade clause in their in their contracts, they're going to be able to, let's say they become unhappy. Let's say there's a, a regime change. You know, the, the success isn't there all out to Sean Watson. You're going to see a lot of these players come out and, and maybe not be as direct as Deshaun was, but, you know, like you said, go through their agent or have their agent kind of act on behalf of them. And, and we're going to see it more across the NFL where they're like, hey, 
I'm unhappy. They make that unhappiness known and they could kind of pick and choose where they want to go. Obviously, like the Sean, it was rumored that he really likes Salah and he really, you know, or Miami would be a good destination. Russell Wilson with Chicago, Dallas, you know, Las Vegas. So ultimately, I think that we're going to see this across the league with the with the star players. Um, I, I know Russell Wilson's getting paid a lot of money and whatnot, but clearly, you know, if you're not protecting your quarterback, or building around your quarterback the way, you know, a franchise that we look at, we look at the Seahawks having, you know, relatively recent success, they've just fallen off. So maybe he's just fallen out of love with them and that relationship's deteriorating, but you know, it remains to be seen. So interestingly enough, um, you talked about, you know, Russell's list of teams and well, Russell just signed an extension back in 2019, a four year extension, um, $140 million. And, one thing I noted about this contract was one of the last sticking points of this extension was that he have a no trade clause. So maybe he, he saw something then or knew, you know, then saw the writing on the wall and expected things to go a certain type of way. But, you know, like you said, Amari, player empowerment, that's a, a power move on his part. And honestly, a guy with, with his history, his success, his, you know, cachet should not, you know, be playing second fiddle to anybody on that team, man. And, and the rumblings are he's unhappy with, you know, the direction and Pete Carroll and his son don't want to listen to any type of suggestions and whatnot. So if that is the case, man, they are making a huge mistake. This guy could play another eight, 10 years at a very high level. You got to do what you got to do to keep him. And he's reasonably priced because his AAV is like $35 million and his value is way more than that. So I find it odd, you know, um, that it's playing out like this. But I will say this. um, I was talking to my friend um, on another podcast, man, and I noted that he had this look in his eyes while he was at the Super Bowl, like the shit that was going on with, with Pat Mahomes, he's seen it all before and he kind of looks shook and it just reminded him of the beating that he's taken. And lo and behold, all of this came out right afterwards. So got to do better, Seattle. Yeah, Seattle really has to do better because if you think about it the last couple of years, I've said this, I believe it was two years ago. If you take Russell Wilson off the Seattle Seahawks, sometimes they're between a two and a six win team. And six wins might even be on the high end. Russell Wilson does so much for that team. Before mm-hmm. DK really came on and Tyler Lockett emerged, it was Russell Wilson, like, drop back, scramble, and make some magic happen. Like, they kind of took that whole let Russ cook thing and, and kind of ran with it. But it's it's not so much Russ cooking as Russ running for his life sometimes. Mm-hmm. And now uh, people are criticizing said that he's holding the ball. He's holding on to the ball a little bit too long. But that's also, you know, it's a double-edged sword because that's what makes Russell Wilson great. He can extend the pocket. He doesn't take hits. He's a smart guy. And he... Essentially, he's Russell Wilson is probably ushered in this next wave of mobile quarterbacks. He's the mobile quarterback that can also be a pocket passer too. He's probably the next. He's probably the evolution of Drew Brees. You know, uh, moving in the pocket, manipulating the pocket, creating different running lanes because he is a shorter quarterback. But I think Russell Wilson is is, is box office, and I, I don't think I can't name five or six better quarterbacks than Russell Wilson. And it it's I like this. I like these moves because now it's holding these teams accountable. You can't just waste you – you're not going to waste my prime because at the end of the day, it's going to be my legacy. Nobody's going to talk about that the Seattle Seahawks didn't do anything to 
to um, improve the, um, you know, the, the cast of supporters, the supporting cast around Russell Wilson. They're just going to say that he went, you know, he had early success. And then once they didn't have defenses anymore, he couldn't really do anything. So I, I, I don't know. I just think that um, I'm not sure, man. I just think that, that Pete Carroll might be losing it a little bit up there. And then also, you know, let's, you know, let's be real. I believe Brian Schottenheimer was their offensive coordinator this year, right? Yep. And we know that that dude, he's not that creative. It's so. basically, yeah, it's basically run, 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 deep play action, you know, and, and that's all that they were. And that, and honestly, DK Metcalf said that on the I Am Athlete podcast a couple weeks ago, and, and everybody knows it. So I just think that these teams are really, really messing it up, honestly, because the, one of the hardest thing to do in professional sports, I think, is to find a quarterback. So, um, yeah, oh, so yeah. That, yeah, yeah, so yeah, so that, so that's what I really noticed. And I like it too, because now it's going to force like teams like the Bengals. You're gonna like you're gonna have to surround Joe Joe Burrow and protect Joe Burrow. Like like I, I love it. I hope every top tier quarterback gets a no trade clause going forward. Just to quickly tie that into the Jets, though, think about that. I mean, I don't know how realistic it is that Russell Wilson gets traded, but like you you know you you stated, Seattle goes from what I don't know what their win count. Was. I think they might have went like eleven and five or ten and six or something this year, but they go from that team to a team that now is six and ten or whatever. We own that first pick. So that, that number 23 we have this year because they did have success and they did make the playoffs. Let's say for some godforsaken reason, Seattle decides to, to move on from them and, and trade them to, you know, a team that has a, a higher pick. And then they somehow, you know, find a way to, to get some more resources to move up and get another quarterback. That team now goes from that 11 and five plateau to, you know, six and nine or whatever. And then we're talking about, the jet we're talking about the pick for the jets moving up significantly higher so assuming that the jets don't have a terrible amount of success like next year you could be looking at two picks within the top 15 and i'm i'm here for all of that man selfishly i hope he gets traded I mean, I love Russ. Don't get me wrong. I think he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. But as for my feeling and for the Jets, I want him gone. I want them dead in the water. So we can get that high pick and laugh at Jamal. And that's all I got. I want to laugh at Jamal really bad, but, you know. That'll be hilarious because he's going to be in the same situation that he was in with the Jets, except he's just going to be further away from his home. So I love it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So so what uh, what else you got, Matt? I know um, there was something around the league that you wanted to um, touch on. So – you know, I, I know, obviously, J.J. Watt got cut by Houston. Uh, I don't know exactly how long ago. I think it might have been last week or week before that. And, I, you know, obviously, when, when you cut – what was that? No, no, he asked for his release. So, yeah, it's different. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. He asked for his release, and Houston did right by him by doing that, which isn't saying much because they got a guy that really wants out that they're not doing right by, let's be honest here. But um, as far as J.J. Watt getting, getting released, you know, due to requests, I just – I know that – Literally, like an hour before he signed with the Cardinals, he had updated one of his, his social media platforms showing like, hey, it's like it's down to like Cleveland, Buffalo, which I was hoping he didn't go to either of those teams. Just, you know, obvious reasons. Um, Cleveland, Buffalo or Green Bay. And I thought Green Bay really made sense because, you know, he went to college at, it, it, uh, in Wisconsin. So it, it would make sense. I know they have a little bit of, you know, they have a lot of money allocated to that defense, but he ultimately signs with the Cardinals, which. Honestly, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I understand he's reuniting with uh, with with Hopkins, and 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 I, I think uh, Tyrus was telling me earlier in the in the pre production that um, uh, he he texted Kyler that he believes in him and and whatnot. But 
I kind of thought that was a little interesting to uh, to see. Obviously, I think the contract was two years, $31 million, which is quite a bit of money to, to an aging defensive end. I think he's 30-31 now. But it was also rumored that he took less money to go to the Cardinals, which I also thought was a little a little funky because not only does he go to the division that, you know, the player we were just talking about, Russell Wilson, is in, where he's going to terrorize Russell Wilson for two games a year minimum with Chandler Jones coming back next year. But, you know, I, are, are the Cardinals like a defensive player away from being competitors in that division? I don't really know. I, I think Kyler's a good quarterback. I think that team still has its deficiencies. But – you know, I, I just thought that was a little bit interesting to, to look between the amount of money he got considering his age and then ultimately, you know, that he alluded to going to teams that weren't the Cardinals. And the next thing I know, he was with the Cardinals. I'm just a little was a little shocked, to be honest with you. What do you guys think? I, I, I didn't I didn't understand the move. He went to the fourth, but he went to the fourth best team in the NFC West. I, I didn't I didn't get it. J.J. Watt obviously isn't the same player that he used to be. I thought that he should jump on. So I thought he would have really, if he went to the NFC, he was going to go to a contender. I thought everybody was going to go ring chase in Tampa. I saw him, just like you said, he went to Wisconsin. I thought he was going to Green Bay. I mean, I thought, I even thought Cleveland made more sense. I, I just, I just didn't see it. I don't, I don't really see how this moves. I don't see how this moves the needle. And I'm surprised that, that people were, if, if he was getting two years, what, what is that? You know, $15.5 million a year. Guaranteed. Yeah, twenty three guaranteed. I, I, that was way more than I thought um, he was he was going to get. But the funniest part was that wasn't even the highest offer he got. Okay. I know. You can't I was like, Are you kidding? I I have I have no clue. Maybe um, I don't. You think Cleveland offered him more? Uh, I would. I, first of all, I don't know. A Cleveland like prints money, and I don't know how. But they print money. They sign Conklin. They sign all these guys. Betonio to big extension. They sign all these guys. But I let, let me just quickly, you know, circle it back again to, to how this relates to the Jets. This shows the value of having a quarterback on a rookie contract. Yes. Look at the money you can tie up to these guys, especially on that short deal, because it's a two-year deal. Kyler isn't going to be up for a deal, assuming he gets a second one for, what, three years? Yeah. Two or three years, plus potential franchise, franchise tags. So – you know, just kind of keep that in mind when we're talking about not only, you know, the Cardinals now on this little segment, but when we talk about the Jets and we talk about getting a QB and how next year we might have to lock up $25 million into Sam, assuming that they stick with him, as opposed to getting a rookie quarterback on a significantly more team-friendly deal where we will be able to build around that quarterback with the salary cap savings. So, you know, I know I deviated a little bit, but the fact of the matter is this kind of does show that the value in having a quarterback on a, on a cheaper deal. Yeah, no, no, no. That's not a deviation at all. That that's just a little bit of forecast, and that's why I just really think, uh, other than Sam needing a fresh start, that's why I just think that a, that a new quarterback needs to be brought in. Uh, that that's just really how I feel about it. Because I, I don't know, Sam would have to show me a lot for him to even like even to even warrant or consider giving him an extension. And the thought of paying Sam Darnold over thirty million dollars is just a nightmare. Unless that, and you just have to surround. You would just have to surround that dude with just so much talent. But you know, you know, we'll get into that too. But I was certainly surprised, and I really, I it, I, I don't know. I thought it was a straight money grab, but to hear that that wasn't his highest, um, his highest offer was was like, honestly just shocking to me. Yeah. And, I, and I just don't, yeah, I just really don't, yeah, I just don't really see JJ Watt as as a needle mover at that point. I think he's going to be a solid role player. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think he's going to have the impact that Demarcus Ware had when he went to the Broncos at the same time in his career. I don't think he's going to. He damn sure ain't going to have the impact that Reggie White had when he went to the Green Bay Packers. 
So, and those are those two guys. Those are perfect comps because they both played their entire careers with other teams and left at age 31. And that's exactly what J.J. Watt is right now. J.J. only had, I think, five and a half sacks last year. And obviously the Cardinals didn't have Chandler Jones last year. I think I, I read a stat that Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt over like the last three years have like, or the last five years or something like that, they have cumulative, they're like one and two for most sacks in that span of time or something like that. I think like 101 sacks, 100 sacks or something like that. So definitely doesn't move the needle. The Cardinals, I again, third, fourth best team in that division, assuming, you know, the 49ers get it together, which, you know, I think they will because I think Shanahan's a stud. Yeah. But, um, and look yeah. at all the players that they had hurt last year. And yeah. either way, I think, I think it's between, honestly, that's going to be a really tough division. I just don't see, I, I personally, you guys know I'm a big fan of Matt Stafford. I think that he makes them remarkably, like considerably better than, I think that's an upgrade right there. I think you upgraded the best position on the team, the most important position on the team. Then you got Russell up in Seattle, even though Seattle doesn't have their first rounders. But then you got the 49ers. If everyone stays healthy and everyone returns, you get Bosa back. You get all those guys back. And I, I think it's just going to I think it's just going to get uglier. So we'll see. I still have the, the Cardinals as the fourth team uh, in that division. Yeah, I agree. Tyrus, did you have anything that stood out to you over there? Oh, uh, man, y'all pretty much pretty much covered it, man. It was reported, though, that the Colts and the Browns offered him more money. And the Tennessee Titans offer him a similar deal, so Tennessee would have made a lot of sense. I'm, I'm a, you know, just real quick. I think uh, I actually like the move, man. A healthy Chandler Jones with JJ Watt, and they're pushing the resign Hassan uh, Reddick. Reddick, who had 12 and a half sacks for him last year. I think that front seven is going to be hell, man. But we shall see. Now. Um, my uh, around the league topic, man, is is of a sad nature. Uh, I just want to send condolences out to the family of ex Notre Dame uh, nose tackle, ex New York Giant uh, lineman Lewis Nix. He was found uh, dead in his car, submerged in a pond. Um, authorities believe it was a uh, possibly a drunk driving accident. Uh, his mother told investigators that it appears to be an accident. Something may have distracted him and he lost control and went into the pond um, because there were curve marks in the pavement that they didn't see. Uh, tire tracks that they didn't see until they really looked. So our condolences again to the family, Lewis Nix, his friends, former uh, teammates, Notre Dame, the Giants, Houston, and, um, you know, sad, man. So <sighs> it's rough. It is. It is, man. And that's the second, you know, RRP, first of all. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I can't even understand what his mom must be going through. But, yeah, that, that, that's the second NFL player that, that, that's been – that's passed away in the, the last month or so. Vincent Jackson, not too long ago. I don't yeah. think a chance to say RRP to Vincent Jackson. But, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's rough out here, man. It's rough after you, after you leave the league, man. I know a lot of guys, they they suffer from a lot of, a lot of vices, man. Alcohol, drugs, and just a lot of stuff. Just borderline depression, man. Right. So I hope everybody gets the help that they that they need post, you know, in their post career. Indeed. Now, uh, moving, moving, moving on, man. Um, 
first of all, great segment, guys. Love the topics. And I, I think this will be a staple of what we're doing. You know, it adds a lot of value, adds a lot of knowledge. And I, I'm really looking forward to tying this into every episode. Now, again, what we came here for is to talk about the offensive line, um, who to keep, who to get rid of, who to sign. And um, I'm really looking forward to diving into this. So I'm going to start things off with uh, you, Amari. I, I know, you know, we have been compiling the list and um, you kind of, you know, wanted to start with the, the tackle position and move inward. Um, I think that's a good idea, especially considering I, that's the most tackle and center are the most important positions on offensive line to me. Uh, but we saw what happens when you don't have good guard play. We saw that all year. So I'm going to kick it over to you, man, to let you kick this thing off. All right. So the Jets, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, PFF, the Jets were ranked 29th in overall in offensive line rankings. And, and to be honest, it, it was a rough go about it. The Jets had a lot of new pieces. The Jets had one, two, three, what, four new starters. So – Shortened off season, it was it was COVID. They had a lot of things. They had a they had an uphill battle from the beginning, and they started this year off, and it was not pretty. But the one bright spot was the tenth overall pick in last year's draft, Joe Douglas' first draft pick as a GM, Makai Becton. We uh, I'm not really sure. I know we all had different grades on everybody. I had Becton as the tackle number two. I thought that he uh, I thought that he had the most upside, but I thought that he was the second tackle. I actually wanted Jedrick Wills. I thought that he was um I thought that he was the best tackle and he did have a solid year for Cleveland. But Makai Becton is just he's a mountain of a man. Um people compared him to Jason Peters, Jonathan Ogden, and he definitely produced. He had a PFF grade of 74.3, and that was 19th out of 38 qualifying tackles. Uh biggest concern with Makai Becton is just always gonna be I think it's gonna be durability. But we'll see how he comes back this year. He's just gonna be a big man. He missed some time, he missed a couple games. And um, he also yeah, he, he missed some he missed some snaps as well too. And to be honest, I think those snaps that he missed was just straight up conditioning issues. But uh, Makai Becton is a monster moving forward, and um, I think that he's a solid piece of, that that you're gonna build with. I think he's a cornerstone player as well too. If everything if he can stay healthy, I think the Jets are locked in at left tackle. Or if they or if he decides to uh, if somebody else is brought in. I think Makai Becton is that piece. How you guys feeling on Becton, Matt? Well, I love him, but uh, this is gonna this is gonna hurt to admit because uh, I've been wrong on my fair share of players. But I think I had Becton at, as the fourth tackle yeah. in the draft. I, 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 it was it was more the the hype for me because I, I felt like he kind of came out of nowhere and he didn't he didn't have quite the um, top level opponents when he was playing. I, so I, I just kind of didn't look at him as, as that guy. Obviously I'm, I'm grateful that we got him. And, and I think that uh, I actually got, I actually was having a little bit of a, a back and forth with a guy about, about Beckton and, and how the gentleman that I was speaking to was telling me how, Oh, the jets and the giants and, and the Browns must regret not taking Tristan Wirfs. And I was just sitting there and I'm like, wait a second. Tristan Wirfs has been playing right tackle. I think they tried him at left tackle, got torched, and then they moved him to right tackle. And, yeah, the, the the kid was a monster. But if I had to go back and redraft, I think if anyone had to go back and redraft, they would easily 
take Becton as the first tackle off the board because we've said it time and time again on the podcast that there's there's pretty much like four positions you really need to lock down. One of them is left tackle. The other one's quarterback, cornerback, and a pass rusher. You need those positions. And, and if you would tell me, hey, we're going to take Wirfs, who is going to be a right tackle for the next 10 years and probably a damn good one, or Becton, who was a top, you know, top half of the league and probably would have been higher if he would have played and, and was a little more durable and stayed healthy and actually had an off-season training program, I, I would still take Becton. It wouldn't make a difference to me. But you know what? I, I love Becton. Dude's a mountain of a man. I'm going to buy his jersey sooner or later, hoping he doesn't actually leave us. But, you know, it is what it is if it happens. But it, it, we got time. And, uh, yeah, I think when it comes to left tackle for the next 10 years, we have it locked down. So uh, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to see, you know, how we address the offensive line in, uh, in the offseason and uh, how Becton looks with a, with a true offseason. So for me, um, dude was an absolute stud in my opinion. A lot of people, like, like Matt alluded to about the hype, you know, his, his measurables were off the charts as far as his size and, and his, his strength. Uh, he he didn't have the the pedigree of some of the other guys, or the notoriety of some of the other guys. But he has a nasty streak out this world, man, and he finishes the play, and that's that's what I love about him. Like Amari talked about, durability may be a concern, and that and that's true. But I I do think that a lot of it stemmed from such a short off season, um, you know, no training camp no mini camps, no time to really acclimate to the game, no time for the, the, the training staff to really get their hands on him and mold him. So I do think kind of like how Quinny Williams did in the off season, came back in, in great shape, um, you know, ready to play, you know, like Quinny changed his whole body in one year that unlike Leonard Williams, who couldn't do it in the whole time he was here. Oh, so, let's not talk about him. He had a breakout year for his contract year. Of course. Of course he did. But, I, I, you know, I love Makai, man. I think he will be an all-pro soon. And whoever our quarterback is, fingers crossed, um, they will love having him protect the blind side. So definitely the best part of the line that we have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty sad that the best player on the team is a left tackle, and that's the and that and that's the that's the that's pretty much when you look at offensive highlights, we're searching for pancake blocks from Beckton. So yeah, we're all in the same accord. I think Makai Beckton is the darling of Jets Nation right now. And then we're gonna move along to the other tackle, and this was a signing that I actually did like. I thought that Joe Douglas did a really good job uh, with the the value. A lot of people said that he overpaid for George Fant. I didn't think that he overpaid for George Fan because he signed him to be a left tackle, and that was a bit of insurance. So I liked it. I love that he signed the left tackle. He identified the need. He um, he addressed it, and then uh, he backed it up. So, it, I mean, the last time that the Jets took a tackle in the first round was the Brickershaw Ferguson. So I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. But on to Fan. Fan had a good season, I feel. He played 829 snaps. He only allowed three sacks. And um, he had an overall grade of 61.6. So not great, not not terrible, especially when he's more comfortable on the left side. So playing right tackle was a bit of a, um, 
adjustment for him. I know that he was a swing tackle with Seattle. A lot of people don't like George Fant. I would keep George Fant unless you're getting a clear upgrade. And by clear upgrade, I mean Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, for trade or something like that. Unless you, And there's not that many tackles, as we'll get to later. So I'm in favor of bringing George Fant back. And I think that just, you know, keeping some continuity – I feel like that would do some that would do this offensive line a lot of service. So how did you guys feel about George Fent? Yeah, I liked it. I thought the the signing got got a little critique heavy because at that point, obviously, we didn't have Becton. So, like you said, we were signing him to be a left tackle. So you gotta you, you address a need and then you still get crap for it from Jets Nation sometimes. And then it is what it is. It happens. But yeah, ultimately, I think unaware. Yeah, they were unaware of who George Fent is. Yeah, exactly. And and you can't blame them because a lot there are a lot of fans that just zone in on their only, you know, on only on their team. And, and that's especially why we do like the, the around the league seg- segment that we're going to be doing because we get to touch base on other teams and and potentially tie it into the Jets. But, you know, beyond that, uh, George Fant, everyone, I think, really had an issue with the contract he signed. I think it was a little it was more front loaded. So they, they, I think we discussed this on an earlier on an earlier podcast that we did, where the bulk of the money, the guaranteed money, and everything was paid out already. So you can really cut him, and it's not too much of a of a, of a dead cap situation. So, but you know, besides that, I, I think his grade doesn't really speak to how well he really played. I think he only had a, a handful of holding calls. I think two or three holding calls on the year. Nothing, nothing crazy. So I'm sure a lot of that that grade is you know centered around maybe the lack of a Jets running game as opposed to the passing game. Cause when we think about the, the offensive line as a cohesive unit down the line, they really started to mesh. Well, obviously 29th overall by PFF doesn't sound like they were meshing well, but once we plugged in elf line and, and Beckton was actually in there, it, it looked like a good offensive line or at least, you know, a serviceable one that maybe you do add one or two pieces that we'll get into, you know, later on, but it, it, it George Fant, down the line, when everything was going well, he looked a lot better than what I think people give him credit for and what PFF gives him credit for. So without a doubt, you bring him back. Like you said, you want that cohesion on the offensive line. So, yeah, I, I got no problem bringing him back, and I, I have no problem with him as a player. And, yeah, I, I think that the only way, like you said, the only way that you let him go is if you you trade for an Orlando Brown or you identify a tackle early in the draft that you it's a, that's a plug and play guy someone falls or you know Rashawn Slater falls or something like that and you're just like hey we could just plug him in and he's an instant upgrade which I would also still question hey maybe you can move Fant into a guard position who knows but yeah I, I'm all, I'm all I'm all on board we're keeping Fant until after the draft we'll see how it plays out absolutely. I agree with everything that you said, and uh, it shows here. I'm not sure if if, if this is correct because I don't have the uh, I don't have a PFF account, but it shows that he only had three penalties. Yeah, that sounds right. So it was it was super solid, and I think that I think honestly I think Fan is going to be one of those players like no matter what, like unless he like goes to a Pro Bowl or something, people are just going to hate it just because like that was their initial reaction to the signing. I don't think yeah, it's it's, it's going to be one of those. But if you tell me, you know, like. White tackles don't really even have to be that guy. Like you think about when the Jets had those great lines. Who like like who were the right tackles though most of those times? The right tackles was Woody. Wayne Turner. It was uh Brano Giacomini. Wayne Turner. Yeah, when yeah, Winters. No, Winters was a guard though. No, no, Wayne Turner. Oh, Wayne Turner. He was the backup, but then he got plugged in and he was a turnstile. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, so so the right tackle doesn't, you know, have to be a, a super stud, even though some teams have that. So, uh, TK, how do you feel about um, Fant? 
Um, I think they should keep him. I think he will be a monster in this new offense. He has this athleticism. He has this, the the speed. Um, he has the wingspan to get out, you know, in space. Um, I hope he, you know, this offseason works on his his footwork, uh, works on his hands because that transition from left to right wasn't easy on him. And it showed early in the season. Uh, he kind of looked better towards the end. So I do believe he's going to go into the lab this offseason, put those things together and, and really show that he can be a top 10, top 12 right tackle. And if that is the case, uh, at 28 years old, we can have two bookends for the next five years. So I'm all for it. All right. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. And we know that he is a super athlete because he was a basketball player because he got into exactly. super late. That's why I like the the move because I feel like his, his best football is ahead of him. So, yeah, I like it. And and honestly, I, I love the position that they're in right now because you don't even have to cut Fant until after the draft. So I think um, at tackle, at least, um, the Jets are headed in the right direction. So we're going to kick inside a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, let's talk about Connor McGovern. Um, I like the move. Connor McGovern was actually, and, and this is why I, I try not to kill JD too much because even though he bargained shocked with some other stuff, he did pay a premium um, for Connor McGovern. I believe it was uh, four years, 32 million, I believe, or three years, 27 million. It's either eight or 9 million that Connor McGovern is getting for a year. I know that he struggled early on, but I don't know as he, as he started to, as they started to gel as, um, as it started to come together, especially down the stretch, Connor McGovern was definitely a, um, a better player. And I think moving forward, if you're going to keep Sam, you definitely have to keep some continuity. And I think Connor McGovern is definitely a part of that going forward. So uh, how, how do you guys feel about Connor McGovern? Well, I, th- I think we all agree that um, the weakest point of the Jets offensive line was probably the guards, right? Yes. McGovern – I believe I remember reading a statistic from PFF again, which is obviously our favorite place to look for stuff, even though they're not always the best, but he was, I think bottom 20 of uh, in the league at center to begin the year for, I think the first seven games or something like that, but then something clicked in that offensive line. And that's why we, we already said it three times. I'll say it again, is that we got that cohesion down the line where that, you know, it's a little misleading some of the grades and stuff like that, where McGovern became a top 12, top 12 center. So, you know, if you're going to, if, if that's the Connor McGovern that's going to come back next year, then, then, then I'm happy with it. And I have no problem with that. I think also people got to remember that McGovern also, his strongest position was guard at one point. So, so center isn't, what isn't, you know, the same way Fant was a left tackle, uh, you know, a swing tackle and he had to move to the right. And it was, it was a little bit of a transition is the same way we got to understand that guards and centers aren't the same position, especially in today's NFL where the emphasis is on that interior pressure. So it's like guard, you're more in charge of actually the call-outs on the offensive line. You help the quarterback. So there, it's definitely a learning curve there. But obviously you can tell there's a learning curve because down the line, he put it all together. He was making the right reads at the line of scrimmage. And, and, and he was starting to get the, the offensive line, you know, and the right protections, you know, wh- whatever was being called. So I'm, I'm off. I, like you said, we gave we gave uh, Joe Douglas some crap for for some of the, the signings, some of the bargain bin, you know, signings he had. But I think McGovern – overall is is going to be assuming that he is what the player he was in the back half of the season last year it's going to prove to be a good signing us you know bar that we actually address the other 
guard positions. Yeah, so he had a, a PFF grade of 62.2, which is middle of the road. Um, he was pretty durable, 969 snaps played, only three penalties, and he allowed six sacks. And I feel like four or five of those sacks were in like the first quarter of the season. I, I don't know what it was. He just had some trouble getting going. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think, um, you know, unless there's a clear upgrade, I think that Connor McGovern is definitely um, – is, is somebody that's going to be around for at least the next three years. So that, that deal, I, I love the effort. You know, it, it sucks because the, you know, it didn't come to fruition. I'm sure what Douglas thought was going to happen when he put those pieces together, but at least he made an effort. He overhauled the offensive line. He, he drafted Becton, he signed Fan, and he signed, which was, I believe um, McGovern was the top center on the market. So we were all happy to, get, to have him in here last year. So I remember TK, you and I, we were especially happy last year when he brought him in so uh well what do you have to add about Connor mcgovern all right so i i got a, a a few small things to add about Connor mcgovern um just to piggyback off of what matt said earlier about him you know picking up the pace and and, and getting better into the season um he start he was graded out weeks one through seven as uh the 40th ranked center in the league um Weeks eight through seventeen, he graded out as the number eight center in the NFL. I'll take it. Um, he played. He played. You know, through injuries all year, but didn't miss a game, which I like. You talked about the nine hundred twenty some odd snaps that he he played. Um, he he. You know, I, I'm 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 glad that they got him. He, he shows versatility, and we'll talk about how a little bit later when we discuss free agents. Um, but here's a little little trivia for you guys, a little known fact about Connor McGovern. He was the first Jets center to start all 16 games in the season since Nick Mangold did it in 2013. And McGovern's 969 offensive snaps were the most by Jets center since – Mangoes nine seventy nine back in two thousand fourteen. So, wow, we 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 got somebody who, you know, played through injuries, played hurt, uh, produced in the end, and I think it was a good signing. I think with this new offense, we'll see an improvement, and with them being together for a whole year and you know a whole off season, showing some cohesion. So, this line will be better next year. Guaranteed. Oh yeah. If it's any, if it's anything like it, it was towards the back end of the season, it'll it'll be, it'll be significantly better. So, you know. Again, we do have to add some pieces, and we'll get into that. But without a doubt, McGovern came along nicely, and, and that the fact that he played all the snaps just kind of proves all our points that he played more, and he eventually got it, and then it eventually clicked, and that cohesion came along. So yeah, without a doubt, I agree that next year this line is going to be better. Even if we didn't sign anyone, it would be better just because we're bringing the same guys back. Great, great. Um, so, yeah, those, those are the starters, and we're just going to continue with the starters. Next up, we have Alex Lewis. And you guys know I, I feel strongly about Alex Lewis, and it's a strong negativity about Alex Lewis. Um, I think that he parlayed a strong finish to the end of a pretty much uh, a meaningless season. That's 7-9. That was the worst 7-9 team I've, I've ever seen. 
and the Jets really felt that they were building momentum. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that that happens now. So now the team knows that when you're beating sorry teams to down the end of the stretch, when you're not playing for anything, everybody plays loose. So Alex Lewis turned that into, a, I think it was, what, a three-year, $15 million deal? And I think Alex Lewis is a backup. So if you're signing Alex Lewis to be your starter, then there are some issues. I think this was, I think Joe Douglas, um, I think he uh, overestimated the value of Alex Lewis and uh, and it came to fruition. Alex Lewis, even though it shows here that that he had a 66 rating in PFF, played in 544 snaps, four penalties. Alex Lewis was not good last year. And also, he missed some time, and it was it was for undisclosed reasons. So, Matt, you said that it was uh, because he called out Gase a bit, and you know, he was in the doghouse for Gase. Uh, we, we don't know. All I know is that Gase wouldn't really mention why he wasn't playing. So I hope that Alex Lewis gets cut because that's going to save them $5 million, and that's $5 million that can go towards somebody who's, who's going to um, contribute. I don't want to see Alex Lewis here again. How do you guys feel? Yeah, uh, Alex Lewis has got to go. I mean, $5 million for a backup – Guard is just insane. We discussed last week on the podcast that, you know, $5 million to Alex Lewis, that's, you know, a, that's a running back in free agency and then a little bit of extra spending money to go somewhere else. So there's there's absolutely no reason to keep him. Um, I mean, I, I don't really got much to add. I mean, I think that, again, we kind of gave Joe Douglas some shit, but then we're like, hey, listen, he's at least addressing the offensive line, so we'll take it. But the reality is Alex Lewis is a backup. He did parlay a strong end of a season into a contract, one that paid him a lot of money, so to speak, for a backup. And then, and, and we also got to remember, and, you know, just sidetracking a little bit, is that we just cut Henry Anderson today. That's $8.2 million saved on the cap. You cut Alex Lewis, that's another $5.1 million, I believe, is the, the number. So we're, we're looking at upwards of additional $13 million in cap space. We're now up to 76 before cutting him. We, we're looking at potentially $80-plus million in, in cap space. So without a doubt, Alex Lewis has got to go. He wasn't really part of the uh, the cohesion down the line. And we'll get into the players that, that you know, were part of that uh, next. But, yeah, not, Alex Lewis can go. 5.1 is just – it's too much and not enough substance. Yeah, um, I don't really have much, man. I, well, I'm in total lockstep with you guys on on Alex Lewis. Um, that that whole missing games thing was a little weird to me. Um, like you heard stories, mental. You know, uh, I, I saw a couple stories about maybe something mental, maybe something with Gates. Who knows? But the fact still remains, he underperformed and was overpaid for his services. Uh, the Jets should cut bait, save that $5.2 million, which is a lot of money for a guy who finished the season ranked 61st out of 70 guards when it comes to uh, pass block win rate. So he got to go, period. Yep, yep, absolutely. And and fortunately for the Jets, the guard position is pretty rich in this year's free agent class. Well, it's top-heavy, but, you know, top-heavy is rich – and it doesn't matter if you get the top one of the top two guys. Next, we have Greg Van Roten. A lot of people were happy about Greg Van Roten. Um, what I liked was that he didn't have a lot of penalties, and uh, it shows here that he didn't have any penalties on the season. But he was just he was just underwhelming. And I just think that um, I think that he's going to be squeezed out, especially if you um, target one of these higher end upper echelon guards. So, uh, how did you guys feel about Greg Van Roten? It was a cheap move. 
I think it was only for $3.5 million. And I'm not mad at it because um, I, I can't even tell you who was the guard there the year before him. So it was um, it, it was a bit of an upgrade. And, and it was a it was a good move in hindsight. I, he had, you know, Joe Douglas had good intentions with that. But, um, yeah, Greg Van Roten, I, I don't want to see him back either. But both of the guards, I, I don't want these two guys. I don't want them back. How do you feel about them? Yeah, we said that the the guard position was the weakest position, and we're just proving it now. Honestly, three point five million again, same same thing as Alex Lewis. You sign him to that deal. I think we were all happy that we were addressing the offensive line. And honestly, I had high hopes for Greg Van Roten. I think he was coming off a strong season with Carolina. It wasn't by any means, and I would say it wasn't by any means an overpay or a parlay into a, a big contract like Alex Lewis, but. Overall, yeah, I think he's got to go. That's another three and a half million dollars in the Jets' pocket where they can spend and they can and they can upgrade these positions. There's three guys in free agency that all play guard or interior offensive line that that we need to or hopefully walk away with this free agency. But yeah, he can go. I don't really have much to add because honestly, like you get you kind of got what you paid for there. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't great, but you know he was right in the in the middle, I guess. But yeah, no, I, no, nothing, nothing too noteworthy of Greg Van Roten, to be honest with you. What do you think about that, Tyrus? Um, I'm not opposed to keeping him. Uh, you know, he he started off the season strong, like in the top 32 in in guards. You know, in pass win rate percentage, he fell off in the end. You know, second half of the season, I think he was like 45th, 46th. <sighs> Honestly, man, I, I, with a lot of these guys, I think that the the play calling had a lot to do with it. Quarterback holding the ball had a lot to do with with you know some of the the, the iniquities that we saw. But I, for his cheap price, I'm not opposed to keeping him, especially you know if we don't land you know the big fish or or you know some of the upper echelon you know players in, in free agency. But again, we got the draft coming, and you could quite possibly find someone to replace him easily in the draft. So, if, if that's the case, and they cut him, you know, down the line, I wouldn't be mad at it. I wouldn't be mad if they kept him. But mm, I'm, 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 I'm in the middle right now. I mean, if he, if he's, if he's retained, I think it has to be a backup. I don't think that he should be a starter, and especially if, if he draft properly. You look at a lot of these, a lot of these guys. I mean. Minnesota drafted Elf line in the third round, like that. Like that's where you find those middle rounds. That's where you find those good players. Of course, like, yeah. And then then some of the free agents that 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 we see right now. I, I don't think, I think Scherf is the only one that was a first rounder. And you look throughout the league, there, there's you know rounds two through five, you can find starting caliber offensive linemen. So oh, I, I just don't, yeah. So I, th- I Greg Van Roten, if he's coming back, I just truly hope that it's at that is at the. Um, is that a backup position? So I don't. I, don't I would hope that they don't pay him that three and a half mil, though. I would hope that they would like somehow. I mean, we have so much cap space anyway, but still, like three point five million. I still feel like that's a little steep for a bat for a guy we're gonna just you know put as a backup and it's just gonna pop in every so often. But again, like like you guys both said, like I'm not gonna be mad if they keep him. The salary is a little high for a backup, but you know, whatever I guess. Yeah. To be, I mean, to be honest, and the next guy that, and this will just go into an elf line. I think elf line should be one of, uh, he should be a starter next year. So that right there. Uh, yeah. To, no, to, 
to to be honest, Elfline should be plugged in at left guard unless you get a clear upgrade and uh, the two guys that we're going to talk about, or unless you unless you and then you should be drafting a guard within the first four rounds. I feel, especially because you have two third round picks. One of those third round picks should be an alignment. Maybe it's a tackle that that you can kick inside, or maybe it's just a guard like a Wyatt Davis or somebody like that. But but yeah. So um, the next guy we want to talk about is Pat Elfline, and he came over. He was claimed off waivers, and we've talked about him. Um, for for a good portion, and uh, yeah, I'm looking at his player grades right now. This mostly has to do with um, uh, Minnesota, so he didn't he didn't rate well. And um, just just by the eye test, going by the eye test, he and Becton uh, they they solidified that that line. I think that's when uh, Ty Johnson and Josh Adams had that big running game against that's Oakland. Right. Yep, and I think that that was against and and they had a pretty good running game against the against the Cleveland Browns as well too. So I think that Elfline should definitely be retained just for continuity. And just for and, and efficiency and effectiveness. So um, I know how, I know we're all going to be in accord on this, but uh, anything to add about Pat Elfline? No, I just think you saw the offensive line again, the cohesion it came came together. Even if you do sign a, a big name, one of the two big guards out there in free agency this year, I would still keep him. I honestly, if that was the case, if you can somehow get him on that, I think we suggested what a th- a three year deal, like somewhere in the ballpark, like twelve million dollars, something like that. I would pay him that. I'd cut Van Roten. It's a it's a five hundred thousand dollar upgrade in salary per year, and then you sign one of the big fish, and then your offensive line set. We saw it last year. I'm sure you could you can pick and choose where you want Elfline to play. Put him on either guard because I think the guards are more interchangeable than the tackles would be. Oh, but w- without a doubt, you you go out there, you sign one of those guards, you bring back Elfline, and then you got an offensive line. You cut Van Roten. Obviously, we know that depth is important, but we also got like the Adogas and the the Cam Clarks that we have yet to really see anything from, to be honest with you. So we can still keep those guys on the cheap, go out there, sign the big name free agent, and bring in Elfline on, on a yeah, – I think he's only 27, right? Bring yes. him in for a three-year deal and, and, and just – just roll with it. We saw last year down the line, Becton and Elfline were just mauling people. I mean, Becton was doing it every time he was on the field. He was making making Nick Bosa for that first week or the whatever week. He was making him look like pedestrian. So we've we've already seen the Becton side when you when we got Elfline off waivers and plugged him in and they played those games. That whole uh, they were literally coming out. Brian Baldinger did this whole breakdown of just run it to the left side. Just run every – you want to run it to the left side, you want to roll out to the left side because you didn't have to worry about it, especially when McGovern was coming along too and you had the the, the, the front all the way to the left. Everything was solidified. Just run it to the left, and they did. And what happened? It so worked. bring Alfine back. I got no problem with it. Give him a two-year, 10-mil deal. I got no problem with it. He's going to be your starter. Still go out there, still draft a guard or sign one of the the, the big-name guys. But, yeah, Alfine down the line, absolutely. I mean, that's how I feel about it. TK, anything in that? Um, nah, man. I, I, I'm personally hoping that they keep him. You know, you, you guys pretty much laid it out pretty clearly – for for us all, we're on agreement with Pat Elfline. That left side looked mighty strong last year. And and again, I think it would be even better with this new offense and better play calling. So keep Pat Elfline. Pay the man. That's a, that's all I got. Sure, sure. All right, and then we're going to move along. We're not going to spend a lot of time on these guys, but uh, Chuma Doga is a guy that I kind of liked out of USC. 
Um, but I also thought that he should have been kicked inside to guard uh, a while ago. So, and I think that he's going to have, because he has short arms. So, like, this, we've seen what happens to get, there's not that many tackles that survive on the edge with these super athletic, you know. Freaks of nature. Yeah, like these dudes, yeah, man. D, NFL DNs and edge rushes, man. There's not there's not too many of those guys walking around the planet like that. And you cannot have short arms out there going against guys like Miles Garrett and Chandler Jones and these freaks. So, and these long ass arms. So, I think Chuma Doga, his true value is going to be on the inside. I have no idea why the Jets have not kicked him inside yet. Maybe because he provides decent depth. But I think even so, another reason that Greg Van Roten shit didn't um, – doesn't need to be brought back, TK, is because if you look at it, they have better depth in inside, um, in in uh, in house already. They have Idoga, who I think would be at least a serviceable guard because he's not really. I think he's a below average tackle. And then they also have Cam Clark, who can provide. Who was a left tackle, but uh, I've heard that he could actually play center and guard. So that's their depth right there. I, th- I think that's how you, um, you know, fill the pipeline through the draft and through uh, waiver wire and free agency and stuff like that to find your good depth. So I think Adoga, I don't think he provides any value as a tackle. Uh, I think he's an emergency tackle, but I think if you put him at guard, he could possibly be a starter because if you're a tackle, usually when you move inside, that kind of upgrades you a little bit and you can play guard. So uh, how do you guys feel about Adoga? I think Edoga is like a – if you would put him as a starter, he's like a league average guy. He's he's not going to do anything. He's not going to be this amazing player. But, again, we, we saw it in the Super Bowl that depth is important and you need depth. And every, and I understand the Greg Van Roten thing and, and, and whatnot, but you got – I think we can kind of just jumble in Cam Clark, who we didn't see much from in his first year. He was he was on the reserve all, all year. And then we could throw Chuma Edoga in there too because we didn't see anything from him either. So, you know, you kind of don't know what you got, but I'd rather roll with them than, than pay Greg Van Roten three and a half million. So, yeah, I think I think after we go out, if we do re-sign Elfline and we do get one of the big fish, we retain obviously both of them. And then and then I think you have a good making of some, some good depth there. Um, and you still go out and you draft another, you know, versatile guy out of, out of wherever, Wyatt Davis, um, you know, Creed Humphrey, guys that can play all across the interior, the the middle of the line. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have much to say about about either of them, to be honest with you. I think that they're just – they are who they are, and we don't really know what they are on the field. That's true. Yeah. Um, honestly, man, when they drafted him, it was a real head-scratcher to me. I wasn't a big fan of the pick. Uh, I think we talked about this – Back then, Omari, you know, when they, they they called him out. But, man, he's on a cheap rookie deal. Um, I would like to see them at least try him at guard. And if he can show, you know, promise at guard, then you have what could be a versatile player. If, if you have injuries, you can, you know, put him inside, put him outside on the right side. Definitely not left. Um as well as with, with George Fent, you know, God forbid something happened to Beckton, you know, you got Fent or, or whomever else you might draft, but I don't see the harm in keeping him, especially if you get rid of the Alex Lewis's and if you get rid of Van Roden and, and, and you know, the McDermott's and some other names that really won't make much of a difference. Uh, I think he's a good death piece, um, not spectacular, but 
we saw um, in the Super Bowl how important having quality depth is. So you could have somebody that you can groom inside to to help you just in case. So I'm not opposed to, to keeping him. Yeah, I think his real value is going to be at guard, and it just really shocks me that they haven't kicked him inside yet. Maybe because, and it was not like he was a, a high-round pick. He was a third rounder. He was the 92nd pick. So, I mean, I think you have to salvage that. So, uh, people, somebody, you know, McCagnan, um thought that he was good enough to to take him in, in the third round. So I think that you just got to salvage it. And um, I think that if uh, usually it goes, if you're a decent, you know, if, if you're a below average tackle, you can be an average guard. You kind of look at Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers kind of saved his career being kicked into guard. And I think that that could be the same thing with him. Uh, I, I think that there's I think that there's value with Idoga and Clark. I will say this about him. Um he he didn't play a, a high number of snaps. Um but he was second on the offensive line in penalties behind um Makai Becton. He had Becton had six, Doga had five. Three holding, two false starts. So Yeah, I mean that's what's gonna happen when you're going against guys with an eighty inch reach and you probably got like a seventy one. Right. That's that, that's just going to happen. So, you know, he, he's always going to be at a disadvantage. So at least they can hide him on the inside and you won't be able to uh, see a lot of those holds uh, on the inside. So I think that they should do that before they definitely cut him. So I, I hope that that's what they do. So, yeah. And, and honestly, guys, I feel like that's it. We don't really have to touch on Connor McDermott. He's a swing tackle. He's I don't think he's really going to be a fact. If Connor McDermott is starting for us, that means that we have some huge issues anyway. So I think the Jets um, – with the players that they have in-house, I think that they're doing okay, to, to be honest. I think that they can uh, – you add some pieces, maybe some of the guys that we're going to talk about right now, and I think that this could really elevate the, um, the, the unit as a whole to at least, you know, 29th. If they can be middle of the road, I mean, that, that, that's just going to be tremendous improvement right here. So the first guy that I want to touch on, and I think uh, – what you got? So before we we jump into um, you know the the free agents, uh, you you just said something, man, just made me think about you know uh, you, you said that they they showed improvement uh, and they didn't do too bad. I, I just want to put a little context to that. Um, that unit closed out twenty twenty, you know, in its stride for for lack of a better word. Um, we saw the the win against the Rams. They held the Rams to two sacks, and that's huge considering that the Rams finished number two in the league with 91 sacks, oh, about 3.3 a game. Um, Aaron Donald had 13 and a half sacks last year, number two in the league, didn't get to Sam once. Uh, following week, they played against Miles Garrett, the monster, and they held Cleveland to two sacks as well. Um, Garrett did have one, but again, considering, you know, who they were playing, I, I think they did pretty good. And then you touched on it a little earlier about, you know, Ty Johnson uh, and, and Adams having that, that big game. Uh, who was that? Against the Raiders. 206 yeah. yards on the ground. Ty Johnson had 104 yards and he became the first jet to get over hundred yards since 2018. So the pieces that we had did show promise. And I think you add one or two more quality pieces. We cooking with gas. 
Yeah, I agree. And to be honest, if you only give up one sack to Miles Garrett and he doesn't completely wreck the game, that means that that, that you're winning. So that's what I loved about Becton too. Becton went up against a gauntlet of of edge rushes and he acquitted himself good. So yeah, I, I think this. I think if we can add some of the pieces that we're about to get into right now, um, it'll be uh, it'll be a really good unit. So uh, first guy I want to start with is uh, I think that he's going to be. I think he's the top guy that we all want, Joe Thune. And Joe Thune, he, he's a certified stud, pro bowler. I uh, believe he may be an all-pro. And um, New England, I thought he was going to leave last year, but New England franchised him. I don't think they're going to do it this year. I don't think they can. Joe Thune is a straight-up baller. He's a good locker room guy. And I'm not sure. I don't think New England is going to give him that money because New England really pays their, pays their own guys. And um, – which is yeah, yeah, yeah. So his uh, PFF overall was a seventy-four point two, pretty good. He played. Um, he was twenty-first in overall snaps at his position. Only allowed two sacks, three penalties. But I, I, I'm gonna equate this move if the Jets could bring him in to kind of when they brought in Alan Fanica. Remember when they had two young? They had uh, Mango. They had Brick. And then they put Fanica in there. He kind of solidified them. And that's when they had Thomas Jones. I think this offseason can kind of mirror that too. If you can get Joe Thune, you got Becton already. You got uh, McGovern who's getting better. And you add, you know, you, you add one of the free agent running backs that we're going to get into at a later time. And I think that now this elevates the unit as a whole. So I, I know that we're probably all going to be on this uh, on the same boat in this one. Um, TK, I'll start with you. How you feel about Thune? Back up the Briggs truck, baby. Get get him in here. Like, uh, you know, we talked about the wire seasons last last week, and you know, I wax poetic about Juju. I know Matt doesn't appreciate Juju like I do, but that's neither here nor there. But this guy, you pay him. I don't care what you got to pay him. You pay him. Uh, but I take that back. He's not worth $18, 20 million a year. But no, my point is no, no. his market value is fifteen point three. Yeah. And at fifteen point three, he's probably gonna be he's probably gonna reset the guard market. And and that's fine too. You have to pay when you haven't drafted well. Yeah. So so my my point is you you pay him, just like you said. He solidifies that line, right? So you got him, you have you really should have zero issues on the interior of the offensive line. Elflin on the left, Dooney on the right, uh, uh, Connor McGovern in the middle. And not only does he help uh, Fent on the right side, but he also helps the center. Like, he he can make calls as well. He he sees other things. You know, like, this dude is, is, is all-world guard right now. And this – you add him, our line will be top ten. I guarantee it. So I'm all for it, especially if you if they keep Sam, whatever. If they don't uh, keep Sam and, and draft the quarterback, you, you know you resetting the the, the, the QB uh, money. So you do it, you you yeah. do it for the sake of whomever the quarterback is. You do it. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta pay him, and obviously we've discussed uh, before that you might have to pay him a little bit more money just because of the team you are. But without a doubt, you you sign this guy. I think his projected market value, like Amari said, was fifteen point three. Probably gonna get in the ballpark of a five year, four or five year deal. There's absolutely no reason why you don't. You have the second highest amount of cap, especially cutting Henry Anderson and potential other uh, cap casualties. 
you, you just you just do it. He makes the the offensive line across the board better. He just he is that player. Obviously, he would be the highest paid guard in the NFL. I think right now well, they have listed Brandon Brooks is making about fourteen. Zach Martin's up there. Andres Pete and Andrew Norwell, like your, your highest paid guards out there. And obviously, you got Brandon Scherf out there too, who we'll discuss a little later. But you, you sign you, you sign him. You do whatever it takes to sign him. You want to if you're whether you're going to take a quarterback or not take a quarterback or whatever. You go out of your way and you make sure that when that quarterback steps in, he has an offensive line in front of him. Because I do think a large part of why Sam didn't materialize into the quarterback we thought he was going to be is because the offense he was he was going to plant it on his ass. He really was. The dude had, I think, uh, last year or the year before that, he had like the snap to you know getting hit was like a second second and a half it was something insane so yeah no you you back up the brings truck you sign this man you plug him right in you know you're getting a guy who's going to play at a high level he's going to elevate the guys around him he has experience and he's only going to be what 28 when the season starts 20 28 29 he's 28 now he'll be 29 He'll be 29. So you give him a four-year deal, you plug him, and you don't worry about it for the next four years. Guards, they, we're not talking about, you know, a position like a cornerback or something where they deteriorate after, you know, 30 is usually that benchmark where you're going to see a drop-off in play. Guards, offensive linemen, look at Jason Peters. He's been playing for God knows how long. The dude's 38, and he played at a high – he was playing at an all-pro level, I think, when he was 36. Trent Williams, 33. So you can be an older – you can sign – first of all, Andrews is not even old. So you can sign him and you're going to get minimum three years of prime quality production from him. But even on the back end, he'll be an above average starter. Obviously, if you're going to pay him that amount of money, you expect him to be in the Pro Bowl conversation every year without a doubt. But even on the back end of that contract, when he's starting to move downhill, you're still going to get high level production a la Alan Fanica. I don't think we didn't sign him when he was a young guy. No, it was definitely. yeah. We signed him on the back end of his career and he was still an all pro. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they, I, he was part of the turnaround and he, exactly. gave the Jets, yeah, he gave the Jets like three solid years. So I, I, I agree. With, I agree with you guys. And I think that out of the two guards, the two top guards, um, the guy that we're going to transition into, I think that he's the guy that you, that you want to get because Scherf has already, Brandon Scherf is the next guy. Um, he's a really good tackle all, all in the all pro discussion guy out of Iowa. And I mean, you really can't go wrong with Iowa linemen to be honest. But uh, his his um, market value is going to be at twelve point seven, according to Spotrack. He's he's twenty nine years old. I I like Brandon Scherf, but he's already stated that he wants to stay with the uh, with with Washington football team. They got some stuff building there, and he's one of those linchpins. He's good in that locker room. He was drafted there, and I think that they're gonna I think that they're gonna get it done. I think Washington is gonna kind of start to turn it around a little bit. Ron Rivera has been great for that organization, and I think. Uh, Brandon Scherf is going to stay, but if he doesn't leave and the Jets can't get Thune, I get Brandon Scherf too. He's a nasty guy. He's a tough guy, and I think that uh, you you put him in there. And you know, TK alluded to Makai Becton's nasty streak. I think you put Brandon Scherf in there, and you'll get the same thing. So I think you can't go wrong with either of those two. To be honest, just continue to build that wall, kind of like what the Raiders did. Um, they went out, they signed Trent Brown to that huge deal. They even got Richie Incognito. You just got to keep keep adding pieces until you get it right. You have to protect whoever's going to be behind there. So um, I'm on board with uh, Scherf or Thune. Yeah, I, I don't think Scherf hits the market, honestly. I, I don't. If he does, Jets should be calling him. His phone should be ringing right away. I think the $12 million is all is a steal 
first and foremost. I think the franchise tag might actually be more, more than, than that. that. It, it is. So uh, the, the Redskins would be stupid to not franchise tag him in the least, you know, similar to what the Patriots did. But I quickly wanted to touch on this because we, we did jump to, to Scherf, and, and I just had one more thing to say about Thune is something with the uh, – I think the guy's name is Dante Sarnecchia, the, the offensive line coach. He's been so sought after from, like, every team because of what he does with offensive linemen up there. I don't know what it is. I don't know how he does it. But I want that guy coaching my offensive line. But I'll back to, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that a different day. But getting back to Scherf, without a doubt, the, the $12 million, $12.5 million, you, you sign, me, sign me up. It's as simple as that. It's not as much of a Brinks truck as it is just, you know, give him, giving him a nice call. If I had to choose, it's always going to be Thune. I think yeah, you said Scherf was a little, a little bit older. But without a doubt, he has that mean streak. It's something about those Iowa guys. He's a mauler. You, you, the same way you plug Thune is the same way you'd plug Scherf, and you'd probably get similar results. So, yeah, no, sign me up. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, like I would take him in a heartbeat, man. Same as with, with Thune. If we miss out on Thune, then, you know, take the smaller Brinks truck to, to Brandon Scherf. Like I, I have no problems with that, man. Um, dude is, is he's probably the most polished guard in the league. I know he's the most polished guard, uh, in free agency. Quentin Nelson, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we can argue that. Um, but he, he ranks in the top of every single, uh, metric that you have for offensive linemen, every single one of them. Um, and then, like he he can get out of space and make any block you need in the run game. He he can pass block like you get him. There's nothing going on in the middle of, of that offensive line for these defensive linemen. Absolutely nothing. So I, I honestly have no no problem with him. I'm not scared of his age. Hell, Andrew Whitworth is 39 years old, and the Rams want him back this year. So pay him. I mean, to I mean, to me, to me, I think uh, like the elite guards and elite linemen, they play well into their mid thirties. You only see them, you only see them slow down because because of injuries. You see a lot of those guys because I feel like Brick. Honestly, I feel like Brick could have probably still played another three, four years. Brick could have slid to the right if, if yep. needed, if need be, and still had two, three very, very good years. That's I honestly believe good. that. Yep. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that as well too. So I have no problem giving these guys four or five year deals. That's what that's what New Orleans did pretty well too. They stacked that offensive line. They had Armstead, they had Ramscheck, and that didn't deter them from from drafting more. They took Ramscheck at thirty two, and they had Andres Pete, and they had a uh, uh, Toronto Armstead on the other side, and they still had a. Uh, uh, Did they get Evans Jenkins? The I was just about to say Jari Evans was there. Jari Evans was an All Pro. And they got him in the fifth round. That's what I keep saying. You, you can find these guys all over the draft. You just have to have a competent staff in there. That's what drives me crazy about, like, there's no way you're, you're telling me that you have to take Penny Sewell at two. It's just no fucking way. It's just dumb. Yeah. Yeah. But it's I just, just, it's just, it's crazy. It's, it's mind blowing to me that, that people don't understand that. A lot of these guys that we're talking about, yes. Um, Scherf was, I think Scherf was like the uh, sixth overall pick. That's just because that they, I think that they just did that just because they didn't have any other position to go to. I don't think that they wanted to do that. So yeah, and then like you just can't go wrong, man. I just, it's it's very rare that you spend 
that you uh, spend draft capital on a first round guard and it doesn't really work out for you. Yeah, even, even the guys that we consider, even the guys that we consider bust, like James Carpenter, he had a long career. He's still playing. Yeah, so, the league I, average I mean, ball. yeah, he is. He is. And just just to touch on Sherp a little bit, he had his over his PFF grade was eighty four point one, which is That's great. crazy. Exactly. Only had two penalties and only allowed three sacks, which is great because you know a lot of these teams now, a lot of their games and defensive stunts that they do are geared towards uh, manipulating the the A-gaps. So, uh, you know, you definitely have to have – like, guard. you can no longer hide bad linemen um, at the guard position anymore. And I think that um, – yeah, and I, and I think the Jets are going to spend at, at that at that position. I hope the Jets can come away with one or two of those guys. But um, if they can't, I think the consolation prize – and I think Matt brought it up first, honestly, Corey Lindsley. So, Corey Lindsley, the center from – Green Bay Packers, who, again, guess when this guy was drafted? The fifth round. Yep. So he had um, he had an overall grade of 89.9. So that probably – That is even – that's just insane. Yeah, that's in tier one, and they were throwing the ball a lot. So it wasn't for a lack of opportunities. He had no penalties on the year and only allowed one sack. Now, I, I you could sign me up for that kind of production too. So you could bring in a Corey Lindsley. You um, – and then, uh, like we said before – um, you could slide McGovern McGovern back to his natural well the spot that he played in Denver which is um, right guard and then you sign Elfline exactly and and the good thing about this is that you'll save a, you'll save some coins because center is a cheaper position than tackle and guard so his um, his market value is only nine point seven so you could sign me up sign me up for that all day every day I think the <laughs> uh, I think the highest paid guard is Ryan Kelly right now in Indianapolis, but I, I could be wrong. He's making twelve a year. Okay. So if, yeah, Corey Lindsley's already thirty, or will be thirty at um, opening day. He just but butted up with the offensive lineman. Yeah, exactly. I give him four years, forty-five years, fifty. Honestly, you might have to overpay a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all for that. So I think that's not, the best case scenario for the Jets. I think that that obviously we want Thune, and obviously you know Sheriff would be nice and whatever. I think. I think Lindsley is really going to be the guy that they really push hard for because I think that seeing what they got out of, out of McGovern down the line, they would probably feel more comfortable potentially moving him out and putting him at the guard position where he, it's more of a natural it, – it's more natural for him. I think that the Lindsley move, I think obviously he is 30, but you know what's shocking to me is that we're talking about offensive linemen playing well into their 30s. They're the ones taking – they're the ones getting hit every play. They're getting hit every play. How are they not deteriorating? I don't know. But they play well into their 30s. We've already given multiple examples of guys playing past 35 at a high level. So it's just like, without a doubt, you bring Lindsley in, especially for that 10 mil, you can cut uh, GVR and you can cut Alex Lewis and pretty much pay. Pay for him. Pay for him. There you go. Nice like But, yeah, no. Listen. Lindsley, without a doubt. Yeah. I, I totally agree, man. Like, how how could you not? Um, again, you signed him, and you know I hinted at McGovern's versatility. He would make McGovern expendable at the center position. So now you have your three interior positions sewed up with with uh, Lindsley, McGovern, uh, F line with solid backups, or you draft somebody. Like, th- there's so many ways this could go, but I do agree that this guy should be looked at. Honestly, he should be signed. I wouldn't be mad if they went with, you know, Lindsley and Thune. Like, 
that would just make my heart swell. I, I'm not going to even lie. Um, and I, I know it's not, you know, not something that, that would happen because they have McGovern and he's under contract. But, you know, this this guy is, is solid. Age doesn't matter to me. Uh, you know, super, super competitive guy. Uh, the best center in free agency. One of the best centers in the league. Excellent locker room guy. I mean, this guy's a, a Walter Payton Award nominee, so you can't go wrong. You got somebody super solid on and off the field, which is huge for a team that's as young as the Jets. You, you do it. Mm. Yep, I love it. I love it. Um, I, t- to be honest, so those are all the, the free agents that, that I were looking that I'm interested in. If you wanted to upgrade the tackle, we can get into some of these guys if you guys want it. Trent Williams, he's not an option. Trent Williams is a left Trent Williams want to play for a contender. Exactly. You know, and I, you know, I wanted Trent Williams last year, but you know, and and I'm glad. I mean, he's healthy. So, and you saw he's a baller when he's healthy. I'm looking through the list, man. There's uh, not there's not much. Yeah, stuff. yeah, there's not much guys out here. Maybe Cam Robinson, because he'd be a bit of an upgrade from Fant. His market value is 11 million. Maybe Darrell Williams. He's another right tackle who might who you may view as an upgrade over George Fant. Yeah. Taylor Moten may be somebody. Yeah, Taylor Moten maybe. Yeah. Um, um, Alejandro uh, Villanueva may, but yeah, but he's thirty three. Right. So I mean, it's it's not it's not a lot out there, man. It's it's top heavy in the offensive lineman market, and with the Jets being at the top of the food chain as far as able to spend money, they they should swing for the fence, man. Yeah, they need to walk away with at least one one of them. I feel like obviously, I I hope they could walk away with two. That would be amazing. But they got to walk away with one of them. And I think the good the good news here is is that we already solidified that left tackle position. So we don't really. It's a good year to need an interior offensive lineman because there's three of them that are going to be out there. We have eighty something million dollars in cap space. It's a good year to need an interior interior offensive lineman as opposed to needing a tackle because I think we all agree and then it's kind of what we spoke about this whole this whole podcast is that the tackles we feel comfortable with McGovern we feel comfortable with Elfline if we bring them back feel comfortable with we just need one out of three that's all we need and it's a good year to really and honestly even with the draft there's a lot of quality offensive line talent too so if they do swing and miss if these players do go back to their teams, the Sheriff goes back to this uh, to the football team, and and Lindsley goes back to the Packers, and you swing and miss on on Thune, you could still address that in the draft because the draft is littered with offensive line talent. Yeah, and also uh, j- just to touch on this, because if you miss on all three of those guys, I think you you immediately avert your attention to the tackle situation in Baltimore. I think that you start opening up those discussions with about Orlando Brown, who tweeted. And you know, and this is the world we live in right now. We, you know, we we uh, look at tweets, we look at you know who's unfollowing who and things like that. So Ronnie Stanley was hurt, and you know, uh, little Zeus swung right over there and played at a high level at left tackle. So now he wants to play left tackle because obviously left tackles make more money. So we've talked about this a few times. Uh, I've talked about saying if you bring Orlando Brown in. Um, you know, what message does that send if you if you move Makai back to Nova? But to be honest, I mean, I I would do that. If you tell me that, you know, if, if, we, if we're going to rock with Sam, you're going to get a bunch of draft capital when you trade that second overall pick. You trade the 34th overall pick to Baltimore, you get Orlando Brown, you plug him at left tackle, you have Elfline, 
you have McGovern and you know your 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 right guard, whoever you want to put in there, and you have Makai Becton at right tackle, that is a top ten line. How you guys feeling about that? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. If you can swing that trade and bring him in, like uh, I don't know where every where where people think that like if the Jets approached Becton to move to right tackle, there would be some sort of issue there. I mean, maybe with the agent, maybe down the line in three, four years, I think we've we've said like as far as contracts are concerned. But if you can swing that trade for for Brown and bring him in, plug him in the left tackle, and just the immediate upgrade, like you said, top ten offensive line. It doesn't matter who's behind center. It really doesn't matter. You, you even spoke about it earlier. When that offensive line finally got their shit together against the Rams, we ran the ball down the, the number two defense in the NFL's throat. So just imagine both sides of the offensive line having two bookend studs at the tackle positions, building that interior of the offensive line. Let's say you do go out and you sign one of those guys. You're set. Yeah, you're set. I think, well, I think if you make that trade plus sign one of those three guys, I think that that's the top five offensive line. But if you but if you strike out on those three guys, then I think that that's when you go to upgrade that. And then if you add, I mean, if you have those, if you have two, because if you put Makai back in that right tackle, I think he's going to be the best right tackle in football. Or mm-hmm. Zeus Brown is going to be top ten because he's only going to get better. I feel. And then you, you, if you could draft like a you know a Wyatt Davis, a Landon Dickinson, Creed uh, Humphrey. Reed Humphrey any maybe a Tevin Jenkins who yeah. who already declared uh, the tackle out of Oklahoma State said that he's a day one starter at right tackle or right guard if they want to kick him inside. Elijah Vera Tucker. There's a lot. There's a lot of guys. A, man. a lot of guys that that are going to be willing to 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 convert to guard. So if you can do that, because if you're not going to take that, I'm telling you, teams are going to be teams are going to be salivating for that number two overall pick if you decide to go back with Sam. So not only are you going to get a first rounder next year, you're probably going to get another third. So that means that you're going to have three third round picks. A bunch of listen, you can find starting listen uh, in the third round that could be your that could be your running back to depth. That could be your number one wide receiver. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. How do you feel? I know you like Zeus Brown, TK. What, what do you what do you think about that idea? Man, I, I guess you know you, you know me, man. I'm I'm always forward thinking, man. And the the practical side of me is like, no, only because of the the I kind of foresee it being a money issue with one or the or the other down the line. But but the fan of me is like, you know, hell yeah, let's 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 get it done and and, and you know create that wall up front and you know let the chips fall where they may, but I wouldn't be mad at it, honestly, at, at all. Like there's, there's nothing to be mad about with that again, other than just two, three years down the line with Becton, but it is what it is. Yeah. If you got I mean, that opportunity to do it now, you do it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Because initially I was against it. Remember, because I feel like that just sends the wrong message. I feel like, Becton is Joe Douglas's guy. It's his first. It's his first pick, and I feel like Becton is one of those linemen that he creates an identity for the offense. If I'm making sense, you know, like he's like remember remember when Ogden was the left tackle for the Ravens. What it was like, like you knew that 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 you were gonna have a tough day with Ogden. Walter Jones, what he did in Seattle. It's it's just like th- those guys like that aren't growing on trees. But I don't know, man. Orlando Brown, he he's he, he's a beast. 
He really is a beast, man. And I think that if you if you could put those two together and have your bookends, that would that would just be ridiculous. And I think that that makes more sense than drafting Penny Sewell at number two. Yeah. I yeah, think that makes way more sense. Yeah. A lot more sense. Yeah. So and I, I love I love the offensive line talent in this draft. And I also love the the wide receiver talent, all the position. Honestly, man, this is a great offseason for the Jets. You look at free agency, they need interior linemen. You look at wide receiver, they they free agency, it's low, it's pretty, it's loaded, and then the draft is supremely loaded at the wide receiver position. So the they Jets can spend their money right. They really have to spend spend they right. have to spend their money right, and it's not going to be a one a one off season fix. But this is the springboard up for the next five years. If right. you mess this up, you're going to be you're going to be. It's going to be horrible for the next five years. If you do, if you hit on this right, you're definitely going from two wins to at least seven or eight wins, and then this is going to set you up for success. So they yep. just have to play it right. And we always say this too, and we'll always reiterate it: you don't build a team through free agency. There's no amount of money you can spend that is going to build your team and make us from a two and fourteen team to a to a ten and sixteen. There's just it's just not going to happen. Ten to seven so. now. <laughs> What's the matter? Ten to seven. They added the seventeenth game this year. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's no amount of money that the Jets can spend that's gonna, that's going to really change it. No, absolutely not. No, no, no. I think I think free agency. You got to get one of those three top guards. You got to get at least one receiver. And I think that um, I mean, honestly, guys, if we're being honest, it's going to be it's going to be Juju or Corey Davis. So. Yeah, either way, it's going to be one of those guys, or hopefully Curtis Sam. I think it'll be yeah. one of those three, and then um, there's going to be a lot of depth pieces, and then maybe you'll get, maybe I think on defense they're going to try to piece it together because that's what Salah's uh, bread and butter is. That that that's what um you know his his trade is. But um yeah, I I like where we're going and this and then this was a great episode, guys. I I didn't think that we would get this deep <laughs> with offensive lines, but you know we uh, we like to talk and we know our shit, so. That's what that's this is what happens when you you love what you're doing, man. You love you, you know the team, and, and like you said, you know what you're talking about. Like we could go on another hour and, and have even more in depth conversations, but all good things come to an end. So you know, um, last week we did wide receiver. This week we did offensive line. I think next week we'll jump over to the other side of the ball. Uh, you know, we we can come to put our heads together and decide which which position we want to go at, defensive line, linebacker, safety position, cornerback, whatever. But I think we'll jump to the defensive side of the ball and get get things going with that. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to talking about the draft. Like, free agency will shape, you know, our draft conversations. But, like, you guys have named some players we was talking about, you know, offensive line that a lot of people don't know about, need to know about. And I think that's what we'll really – really show our worth to you guys when we break down some of these college players that are third, fourth, fifth rounders that we've been looking at, we've been talking about, and we can't wait to share what we know with you. Awesome, man. Awesome. So, I mean, if you guys don't have anything else, man, this was uh, episode eight on the behalf of the entire flight deck. We are out. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Have a good